Think about this for a minute. Do you get paid a salary or do you get paid by the hour? Do you believe that time is money? Research shows that the answers to those questions can have a lot to do with how happy you are, especially in the so-called gig economy. Hello again, I'm Aaron Alney with UCLA Anderson's podcast series, How the World Works. I'm talking today with Sanford DeVoe. He's Associate Professor of Management and Organizations, and he's a recent op-ed contributor to the Wall Street Journal. Sanford DeVoe, welcome. Great to have you with us. Uh, it's great to be here. Let me read the lead sentence from your recent piece in the journal. Quote, people who get paid by the hour see their time differently than people who get a salary see their time differently according to how they're paid. How do you know that? Well, you know, this has been a, over a, a decades-long investigation into how the way people are paid uh, influences their perceptions and experience of time. And this started out uh, in uh, 2004 uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, you know, I, I was at Stanford and there were some sociologists who were doing a, a very extensive qualitative study interviewing uh, IT workers and consultants in the Bay Area. And, and they didn't have a, a hypothesis about um, the economic value of time at all, but it was one of these things that came out of these interviews very starkly that these uh, IT consultants who were paid by the hour really came to see their time in terms of money and almost felt boxed in by this. And one of the informants had said, you know, I've become one of those guys who I take a day off, if I'm losing $800. They term this economic evaluation, this way of thinking about time that's very narrow uh, and just focuses on its economic value. And, you know, the, the Bay Area is a, a very specific place and uh, IT consultants are, uh, you know, maybe a, a very specific uh, occupation in, in a sort of gig economy. But my question was, you know, does this generalize? And we, we started looking at lawyers first, but then took advantage of uh, really large representative data sets um, where we could look at uh, how people are paid. And, and some of those data sets allow us to track people over a 10-year period of time. Obviously, people who are uh, salaried and hourly uh, or, or, or lawyers who bill or don't, you know, they differ on a lot of different dimensions, pay being one of them. But we do our best to control for these factors in our models. And consistently, uh, hourly workers differ from salaried workers in, in how they choose to spend their time outside of work and how they're willing to make trade-offs between uh, working more and earning more. And we've started to get really good evidence that they're actually experiencing the activities outside of work in a different way, a way that's sort of consistent with an economic evaluation of time. So when they value their work time in terms of money, you're suggesting they then value their off times in uh, terms of money as well. So free time isn't free anymore. Well, it's one that you're uh, aware of there being a sort of economic cost to that. And where we see this most starkly is with activities that are very difficult to justify in the mentality of thinking about your time in terms of money. And the category that we really started focusing on initially is volunteer work. So this is work where people don't get paid for it. So it gets very difficult to justify uh, if you're thinking about your time in terms of money. And we've seen consistently, for instance, hourly workers controlling for a whole host of different covariates, volunteer less time 
And one of the things we've been able to do more recently is dig into, okay, well, let's say someone who's hourly and someone who's hourly, they do end up volunteering their time. What are they experiencing during that episode? And we, we took a advantage from the Bureau of Labor Statistics has, has done a very large study where they, they had people evaluate their time use and what they were experiencing during that. And what we found was that for the most part, hourly and hourly people were experiencing the same level of happiness when they did do these activities. It was the hourly workers who were paid a lot and the activity, the volunteer activity that they were engaged in was about an hour or more. And so what I think you see there is I'm doing an activity. Volunteering is, is known to be uh, very enjoyable and meaningful. But when I'm doing that activity, and I'm not getting paid for it. If I have a, a, a clear metric for the monetary value of my time, let's say, you know, my time is worth $50 an hour, that when I start doing that activity and it approaches that hour mark, it gets very difficult not to think about the opportunity cost of your time at that point. And those interfere with you being able to enjoy the activity like you would otherwise. You mentioned lawyers. Uh, lawyers get a lot more than $50 an hour, certainly here in the Los Angeles area. Uh, so it's interesting that you would focus on them. Presumably, they're asked to do a lot of volunteer work. Are they more reluctant to do it? Yeah, we were able to look at lawyers in a, in a context at Stanford Law School. We got law students one week before their graduation to tell us how willing they were to volunteer their time without getting paid for it. We followed up six months later, and we looked at people who went into jobs where they billed their time and those where they didn't, and we controlled for their earnings and the number of hours they worked. But we were able to see a clear change in their willingness to volunteer. So lawyers who went into organizational contexts where they had to constantly bill their time changed how willing they were to volunteer. They said they were less willing to volunteer after that. We also asked them a bunch of questions that, you know, were very sort of, um, how willing would you be to, uh, you know, paint your house or write a check uh, to uh, an organization for charity? And uh, one of the cool things that we saw was that lawyers started to think about these activities, outsourcing, uh, painting uh, uh, your house, and writing a check to charity. They started to see these things as, as similar. If you're going to uh, outsource painting your house, you should outsource charity. So you, you would write a check for charity as opposed to volunteering the, the comparable amount of hours that it would be worth. Wow. So uh, time really does become a valuable uh, thing. Did you talk to salaried workers uh, and ask them to start thinking about their time uh, in terms of uh, hours and, and shorter, more easily uh, quantifiable segments? And if so, did they change their views? Yeah, so this is where we were really able to get uh, a clear insight into the psychology here, because salaried workers don't really have this clear sense for the monetary value of their time. And so we, we've done a, a whole host of experiments where we do it with hourly and salary workers, but we see all the, the movement happen with salaried workers. And we randomly assign them to one of two conditions. One is they simply uh, indicate their yearly earnings, the, the number of uh, weeks they work per year, and the number of hours they work per week. So that's our sort of control condition. And the other condition is we have them uh, list that same information, except do the calculation of, well, what's your approximate hourly wage rate based on that information? 
And what we see is that this doesn't happen with hourly workers. They know what their hourly wage rate, so it doesn't impact their choices at all. But amongst salaried workers, doing that calculation, having that clear monetary value of time made salient to them, pushes them to want to trade more of their uh, free time to earn more money, makes them less willing to volunteer their time. And uh, most recently, we've shown that it causes them to want to socialize more with their colleagues outside of work, particularly if they are high earners, because it's a productive way of using that time. So if there are any salaried workers listening, we should tell them to turn off right now, I take it, (laughs) and, uh, and their lives will be better for it. Well, you know, uh, you know, one way would be to remind people what they're earning over the entire year. It sort of takes away this very sort of notion of what each hour is worth. But I, you know, I think that's so important. I, you know, I, I don't think organizations or employees really have a sense for how these payment systems might be influencing the way they think about their time outside of work. One of the things that's really powerful about time is that it permeates all these different domains of our lives. And so if we learn to think about our time in one domain, it can easily carry over into these other domains. And there are these moments in our lives that are seem like they're very vulnerable to this uh, economic evaluation of time. And so volunteering, I think, is a clear example of that. And so I would just really encourage people who are paid by an hour, uh, when they're off the clock, you know, one of the reasons we work is, is so that we can have time off. Uh, let's say you're at a, your kid's soccer game. If you're thinking about how much that's costing you in foregone uh, wages, right? Suddenly you're like, I'm losing $25 an hour by going to my kid's soccer game. That That's really the wrong way to think about that time and that you really want to be a broad evaluator. You want to think about, well, you know, is this making me the most happy? Are there other activities I could be doing on that in my time off the job that would maximize my happiness? And I think that's a, a much better metric for making decisions about our time outside of work. You mentioned uh, that people uh, who begin to think this way uh, then want to spend more time socializing with their colleagues, their work colleagues, uh, when they're off. Uh, Does that make them happier or not? Oh, that's such an interesting question. And, and, you know, I I think this has been the the first time we've really gotten some great empirical uh, insight into what's going on. It turns out socializing is an activity that makes most people happy. There's an enormous amount of of literature on that. Uh, When you look at uh, how people spend their time and and you ask them to split it up into different episodes and, and sort of rate it in terms of how happy they are, it turns out that socializing with colleagues is pretty low on the list. Now, uh, it's even lower interacting with colleagues on the job, but even off the job, it's pretty low compared to the other ways people would tend to socialize with their family or their friends. And so that's one of the things that we were able to, to track in this Bureau of Labor Statistics study is that socializing with your colleagues outside of work is significantly less enjoyable than socializing with your family or friends. And what's so interesting is we were able to look at that effect and say, hey, does this vary by how much people earn or vary by how they're paid? And in terms of the underlying experience of happiness people are having, it, it didn't vary at all in terms of income or, or how they were paid. And so that allows us really to tie this directly to our, our findings in terms of time use. So high paid hourly workers who are spending more time socializing with their colleagues outside of work, they're not getting additional happiness from that. We see that in their responses. And so they're spending their time in ways that uh, isn't maximizing their happiness. What are the implications for employers? And uh, should they care about this? Should they be concerned about it? 
Well, I think they think very deeply about how their incentive systems motivate workers on the job. Uh, they tend not to think about what are the spillover implications for how, how they're paid into their non-work time. And so burnout tends to be a, a really critical issue that, that organizations care about. And if how people are, are being paid is, is causing them to spend their time in ways that, uh, that isn't making them uh, happy, that may be a long-term consequence of this. Um, you know, there are going to be uh, domains in which having a precise monetary value of time is going to really aid you in making the right decisions. And that may be very, very useful at work. But when it comes to uh, making decisions about your time outside of work, uh, you really want to be able to turn that switch off. And so, uh, you know, it's a challenge, but I, I think it really behooves organizations to allow people this time off. And I, I think there's been a big movement now with COVID and so many people working from home that it's so important for us to be able to establish our off time from work, right? Because these two things have completely <laughs> blended when we work at home and we seem to be able to be reachable at any any moment during the day now that uh, really having these times where, okay, you know, if you're if you're punching out at five or six, tell us when you're gonna stop working and really to, to sever that tie at that moment if it's possible as a way to really allow people to, to kind of separate these fears. Really interesting you would say that uh, because uh, I think a lot of us consider ourselves very lucky if we're able to work at home, uh, given the COVID uh, situation, and yet there are risks and downsides to it. Oh, yeah. This is uh, causing all of us who study organizational behavior to sort of take stock and really try to uh, evaluate what are we learning from this sort of crisis. And, and uh, you know, initially there were, were real signs that, that were consistent with prior data that working from home can really increase productivity. And we saw a spurt of that. And I think people were concerned about their jobs and they were trying to work as hard as they could uh, in those initial couple of months. But I think we're all now sort of confronting this, this sense of burnout and that this isn't sustainable. And so uh, really thinking about how we can re-envision this working from home in a way that's sustainable over the long term, uh, that's going to allow for the creativity and, and sustained output uh, is, is critical, I think. What are the implications for the gig economy? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the biggest changes over the last 10 years that we've seen. Uh, if you're an a Uber or Lyft driver, it seems like you could spend any hour of the day earning additional money. Presumably, people are doing this because, uh, because they need to. And so if it's your livelihood, that's important. But understanding how this can sort of seep into the decisions when you're not driving and, and the sort of foregone income, oh, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out with my kids or I'm hanging out with my family, but I could be, you know, driving an extra hour to earn more money, that's a very perverse economic logic that I think makes it almost impossible to enjoy your time off from work. So uh, again, I, I think it's really important for, for people who are exposed to these practices to really come up with ways to protect themselves from thinking about that way when they're off the job. What about the more traditional ways of relationships between uh, uh, business and uh, workers. And is there something here that's important for labor unions? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the whole notion of an hourly wage rate really came out of the labor 
uh, movement that was really worried uh, and concerned about uh, organizations taking advantage of employees. One of the tricks that used to happen back in the day is that supervisors would collect everybody's watches so they wouldn't know what time it was. And that way they could end a little bit later and nobody would know. So uh, having an hourly wage and, and time and a half is incredibly important for uh, protecting employees from exploitation. But to the extent that this is carrying over, spilling over into other domains, we want to be able to be aware of that so that we can sort of defend ourselves from the negative effects of that. Yeah, I know that uh, some of the research that you did uh, came from uh, the uh, evidence compiled by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I'm interested in what information that was and uh, how you were able to use it and how it led into uh, the further research that you've talked about. Yeah. So uh, since 2005, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has been conducting a, a American time use survey. And they uh, do a random sample. They, they pick a random uh, day out of the year and sort of sample people on what they did the prior day. And so they slice up the day based on the number of activities you said you had. And you know, on average, people have six to eight activities or so. Some have more, some have less. And uh, they ask you, you know, what did you do during that time? Who else was present? And in a small subset of cases, they ask you what you were experiencing during that time. And so this is an incredibly flexible data set. They don't just look at it at these very sort of top tier codes like volunteer work. They get down into very, very nitty gritty. And that's what's allowed us to really look at this slice of socializing with colleagues outside of work uh, to see how, how that was impacted by uh, people thinking about their time in terms of money. But then you did your own experimentation as well. And I take it it's been over 10 years. Yeah, this has been uh, 10 years of, of investigation into this phenomenon, and it's been, I think, really in, important in terms of highlighting the way in which uh, organizations are sort of influencing us in ways that we may not have been aware of before. I mean, you know, in, in an important way, you know, when you're paid by the hour, your time really does become money. It takes that metaphor and it reifies it, right? But but what we're seeing is that it's the uh, exposure to this, the repeated exposure of this, that's having these psychological consequences. Uh, you know, in, in one uh, data set, we were able to look at people over a 10-year time period. We were able to look at hourly workers as they shifted into salaried work. And one of our questions was, hey, will this immediately change? Is this just about the incentives of their work? Or will there be some sort of persistence of this psychology? And what we found was a sort of geometric decay uh, over a two-year period. So uh, I'm a uh, hourly worker. I move into a salary job. I still respond like an hourly worker up to two years later. So that shows you there's this sort of this persistent psychology. It doesn't last forever but uh, it carries over with you into a different job. For me, you know, I think this is so interesting. You know, when I was a graduate student, not earning very much at all, uh, and I, I took a job uh, as, a, as a faculty member, suddenly my, my income, you know, jumped. And I was like, I still was making decisions like I was when I was a, was a graduate student for a good period of time until I sort of updated. So I think we're seeing something similar here, but with the, the precise monetary metric for time that people have uh, on their job, even when they shift to a job where that's, that's not really relevant. So what about people who are really happy in their work and people who get paid time off as well? How does this apply to them? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. I mean, uh, some people uh, love their job and, you know, in some ways, salaried work allows you to 
to really enjoy your job, right? You don't have to think about uh, the number of hours you're putting in. It can just really be uh, tied to your, your interest in and enthusiasm for the work. But uh, the other side of that is, uh, you know, I think uh, paid days off uh, can be really critical. There's something very perverse to hourly workers uh, taking a day off and feeling like they're losing money doing that. If they have paid days off, that's a really powerful way that organizations can help protect or at least give hourly workers some guaranteed time off where they don't really have to think about their time in terms of money. As all this evolves, uh, what do you see for the future? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, it, we're all sort of taking a pause in, in these COVID times. Is this just a blip or is this going to be a permanent shift? And so I, I think it just makes it more important than ever that we're aware of the monetary value of our time, but we focus on making that applicable to work and turning off the switch and making sure that when we're, we're not working, we're not thinking about that foregone income so that we can enjoy our time off. So this idea of work and, and home life uh, completely overlapping, I, I think that's unfortunately going to be more and more of what the future holds. And it's going to be more and more important for employees, but also organizations to figure out ways of demarcating that space so that we can really recharge on our, our time off and enjoy that time and, and then come back to, uh, to work and be productive. Stanford DeVoe, Associate Professor of Management and Organizations at UCLA Anderson. Fascinating research, uh, well and, uh, and helpfully expressed by you. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thanks so much, Warren.